Hi, and welcome to the Embody Your Flow podcast. My name is Monica Martin. I am a life transformation coach, and I am here to hold space for you to create a life you truly love by blending spirituality and science. I overcame CPTSD due to severe childhood trauma and burned out. This podcast is all about life transformation, wellness, and reclaiming your birthright, which is to live a life that makes you feel happy, fulfilled, and free. Hi, and welcome to today's episode where I get to interview one of my dearest friends, Renee Thiel. She's a certified clinical nutritionist, detox specialist, and intuitive guide. In this episode, you'll hear her share her awakening story that led her to leave the Mormon church and how she overcame endometriosis, got pregnant naturally three times, and had very safe home births. This is an episode you don't want to miss. Hi, Renee. How are you? Hi, Monica. I'm good. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. I'm so happy to have you because yeah, you have such a powerful life transformation to share. I am, you know, totally amazed by all the things that you have gone through and how you were able to overcome all of that. So I will, I will start by asking, you know, because you grew up in a Mormon family and me, like as a French uh, living in Switzerland, like France is a Catholic country, but I don't like I don't know anyone my age who actually practice religion. Uh, and it's the same here in Switzerland. Like it's it's a complete different kind of culture, and um, and maybe some believe in God, but it's very you know people keep that private to themselves, and yeah, and they barely go to church. So I would love to know what. Was it like to grow up in a family, um, like a Mormon family? Because that's because that's you know that's something very specific, right? It's different from being Catholic or like from Christian. It's like Mormon. Because the only thing I know about you know being a Mormon, I know all the info that I have are from <laughs> this TV show called Big Love. Uh, that's all I know. So please. Um, share your experience (laughs) with me. (laughs) Oh, wow. What a contrast between, you know, here in the States to Europe. Um, And no, that shows, (laughs) I'm familiar with that show. So the modern Mormons don't look that way, like the big love show. (laughs) 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 um, Yeah. So, you know, when I was growing up, it all felt very normal because, um, you know, here in the States, you know, many, many people are Christian or religious. They're not all Mormon. Right. But, um, the town that I grew up in, there was, you know, many Mormons, um, there's many Mormons and many Catholics. So it all felt just very normal. Right. And like everybody was watching out for everybody, you know, if somebody was getting into trouble, then your parents were going to hear about it right away. Right. If like, if something looks suspicious, then yeah, it it wasn't going to be very long before, you know, I was mm-hmm. like getting called, getting yeah. called into my parents' bedroom. So yeah, the Mormon religion is very, very strict. You know, you're not, they, they don't drink coffee. Um, they don't drink alcohol. You know, I, why I not think coffee? A, okay. So the founder of the church, his name is Joseph Smith. He created this word of wisdom and it's all kind of, some of it's kind of very random. So one of the things is hot drinks. So that can include hot cocoa. Uh, some hot teas. I think herbal teas were okay, but hot teas were not okay. 
coffee is not okay. Um, yeah. So alcohol, um, you know, we weren't supposed to date until, you know, later on, I think we could like go to these church dances when we were 14 and like go on a date when we were 16, but we're not supposed to date the same person over and over. So, you know, I remember as a teenager, like, this is you know, weird. <laughs> like, like you were not supposed know, to date the same person how it, it over would, and over. It would sound like, to you. Oh wait, sorry. What was that? Uh, yeah, I was saying this. This. This is weird. You were not supposed to date the same person over and over. I mean, that's kind of like weird. Like, what were they trying to teach you? <laughs> you know, like it's not okay to be in a stable relationship or. <laughs> yeah. So some of my friends would make up these kind of funny things. They would you know, there's all the dates in, I don't know if you guys do this in Europe, but here in the state or in, yeah, in the States, um, we have all these high school dances. There's yeah. Sadie Hawkins and homecoming and prom and yeah, all these, okay. All these things. So they would, we would like find this group of friends and rather than going on the date with your boyfriend, you know, each one you would like yeah. switch. So like I would go with my friend's boyfriend so that we could all be in the same group and like they could be together and then I could be with my boyfriend, right? And then oh, it didn't okay. look like you're, you're dating the okay. same <laughs> study. <laughs> so yeah, there's all these ways around. It, yeah. It's so funny. It's very comical to look back at. <laughs> I guess, you know, they probably didn't want you guys to have sex or something. So you, you would have to date other people all the time. Yeah. Yep. We wanted, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Keeping it clean. Keeping it very clean. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a weird way of trying to keep you guys from having sex, but I mean, you know, <laughs> and uh, yeah. And so there were all these rules that, you know, you had to leave by these rules. You know, it's, and so much of it is like, especially in my, you know, in my family, I felt like so much of it was like this appearance thing. I think that is, you know, the case for many, many families, yeah. right? Uh, you know, you'll see like, you know, we're not perfect. We're, you know, very imperfect, make our mistakes. But then on Sunday, you know, everybody puts on their best dresses and, you know, the men wear their shirt and ties to church and, you know, everybody puts, puts behind, you know, all of their, mm -hmm. uh, all of their imperfection shows up to be, you know, this perfect family. And it just, you know, now that I look back, it's, it's just so odd about that. <laughs> Did you feel that you were restricted in a way that you couldn't be yourself? Oh my goodness. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, if, I mean, <laughs> like, well, where do I start with this? Yeah. <laughs> Cause you there's know, so you, much to was, share about that. Yeah. Like so much that, okay. Number one, like the, the biggest thing was, you know, just making decisions for myself, like, it wasn't really up to me, like what I, it, not necessarily what I wanted in my life. Like I, there was like an amount of freedom, but it was very limited. Right. So, you know, I was supposed to do my life in this certain way. I was supposed to, you know, the women are like, now that I'm looking back at it, you know, I've seen kind of some of these documentaries that have been coming out yeah. around cold polygamy. Right. I'm seeing how, you know, I was in this very like, watered down version of some of these cults to where we were being groomed to, you know, that as a woman, our importance was in being married and having children and not in following our dreams for what we wanted to do. You know, I remember talking about some of my dreams for college and what I would want to do. And it would get kind of shut down by the people in the church or 
you know, you're supposed to be a mother, you know, being a mother should come yeah. first rather than like what my actual desires and dreams were. Um, you know, the other thing was, yeah, you know, you just kind of be, start to become like this carbon copy of almost like the Stepford wives of, you know, this, yeah, this woman, it. this woman who doesn't complain, you know, she's always happy. Um, <laughs> and she doesn't show emotions, right? Like we should be grateful and should be happy. So you start to become kind of out of tune with, um, you know, what your emotions are. I totally understand that. because I feel like even though our background are different, what you're stating right now in terms of your experience is, you know, my own experience um, with trauma. You know, you talk about the step wife and you're not showing emotions and uh, being this carbon copy. And that's really, when I look back, it's really how I was, um, you know, growing up and as a young adult. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, did that come from just a general society, just living in the modern age or for you? Where do you think that? Oh, no, it, it was be oh, it was because of my upbringing and because of, you know, I was raised in this toxic and abusive environment. And my copying mechanism was to pretend that everything was fine and that I was always fine and that just to keep going, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand. Completely. And... Um, And so when you were eight, your mom was diagnosed with cancer. Yes. Yeah. And how, you know, I did... <laughs> sorry. Oh. oh no, that's okay. Yeah. I remember, I remember her getting that phone call. Like, you know, remember back in the day we had these like phones with like the long cord. On yeah. Them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember like being home playing with some toys and I remember like watching my mom, like from where I was playing, you know, she like put the phone down and she just like sat there like this, like I saw all the color leave her face and I walked over and asked her what was wrong. And she said she had been going to the doctor a lot. And I thought that she was going to have another baby. And I was okay. a little bit worried about that. <laughs> this is me as an eight year old. <laughs> um, and yeah, I remember asking her, well, what did the doctor say? And she said, my results were positive. And I said, well, that's good. Right. And she just kind of looked at me like not ready to tell me. And then I think mm. it was a couple of nights later that my family had sat down, sat us kids down and told us, you know, what was, what was happening. So I still, yeah, it's like one of those kind of funny memories that I have. Well, not funny, but interesting memories yeah, that I have. Of course. And how did that impact your life? Because you were very young and um, she passed away when you were 17. How did, how did her illness um impact your life and how you you know how you grew up yeah um you know one of the things I mean I not to like put this all like uh, on me but you you are asking that question though but it's, it's, yeah it's kind of funny to to um it's It, there, there was this sense in growing up around kind of walking on eggshells around, well, she's not feeling well. Um, you know, her needs me to come first. I need to do everything that I can to, you know, help her feel better and to like make the home comfortable. Just at an early age, I had already, I had already knew that. So it's kind of like this self, this self-induced trauma. If, if, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it so, does. It yeah. Does. So, um, because you, know, you, yeah, because you cared. 
yeah, because she, it, it feels like from what you're saying that she may not have been that present for you or that you felt the pressure to meet her own needs and forget about yours, even though you were a kid. Yeah. And I know she wasn't putting that on me, but that was what I had taken, like the responsibility to where I had stepped up, you know, as a young kid, you know, I was always helping out with dinner and with the dishes and, and things like that. And, you know, I, I do want to say my mom was, you know, very, um, very sweet, you know, very peaceful. I rarely ever heard her complain or say she didn't feel well. She hid so much of it so well. And, you know, the, um, so the journey from her having, you know, meeting eight to, you know, when she passed just right before I was 17, um, you know, it was a very, uh, it wasn't a linear journey, you know, she'd go into remission and, you know, she'd have a, maybe a year or two where she felt really good. And then it would come back. And when it would come back, she wouldn't share it with us. Like I was sometimes would hear it from someone at church or like someone okay. in our neighborhood. Whoa. And there was this, just this sense of like, well, I never know. Like I never yeah. know what's going on. Nobody communicates this with me. It probably didn't make you feel safe. Like, you know, you never know what's going to happen. And you know, is she, is, is she sick again or is she good? Like, you know, like you don't know, like it's, it's very unstable. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, just walking into the home from like coming home from school was like, okay, like brace myself. Like what is, what is going to be going on here? Right. Um, when oh, there's something that I was, was going to bring up and I, okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. And, um, and then you, when you were 18, you were diagnosed with endometriosis. Yeah. Yes. Um, so yeah, just, just starting my period was like, I remember just being, having these horrific periods. And that was when you school. were 13, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I had started my period, I think right before I had turned 13, like the summer before I had turned 13 or something. And, um, you know, and I, I do probably relate a lot of what I was taking in emotionally and, um, you know, just all of that to yeah. this, just this, the level of stress in my body mm -hmm. to these periods. So they were just horrific. You know, I would be at school, just like I would go throw up because I would be in so much pain. And mm -hmm. I remember sometimes calling my parents to come pick me up from school. I remember like skipping soccer practice because I was in so much pain. And I just remember looking around like my friends, like, why is nobody else experiencing yeah. this? Like, is yeah, this you must what feel being really a woman alone. is? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did. And I remember a, fr a friend's mom had pointed out, like, you know, she thought maybe I had endometriosis because she had had that as a child. So I remember, like, <laughs> remember the, the dial-up internet back in the 90s, like, trying to yeah. look this up and trying to understand <laughs> what it was and not really getting anywhere with it, right? Like, yeah. just everything was, everything, you know, they would name the symptoms, but not really why it was, you know, in the, wh why yeah, it was there or what to do for it. So, you know, I ended up, I went to many, many gynecologists that my mom had taken me to. And there's no, there's really nothing to do besides get on the pill. And so, you know, I was just at my wit's end. Me and my mom were just at our wit's end. So I just, you know, got on the pill to have any type of relief. So when I was 18 and I was on my own, you know, my mom had passed and um, I had moved from my small town to the city. 
And I was like, I'm going to make an appointment with a gynecologist and I'm going to like get to the bottom of what is, what is going on here. So it wasn't until I'd gotten out of my small town that, you know, I found somebody willing to, um, to actually do, you know, do a surgery, to do an explorative surgery and see what was going on inside. So it just, you know, when I had woken up from surgery, he showed me a picture where it had looked like somebody had just splattered black paint all over you know, my ovaries, the front of my uterus is even going up on my yeah. ureter, the, the tube that goes up to your kidney. And I just, not that I want something wrong with me, but I just remember feeling so much relief in knowing that I wasn't making something up or I wasn't crazy. Yeah, of course. And then, <laughs> you know, I had something, something to work with. Yeah. So he had told me, you know, with the stage that it was at, that it would be, if I wanted to have children, I needed to do it like right now after I had had all of this removed, uh, lasered off, um, or, you know, I would end up needing, you know, medical intervention to, to get pregnant. And I just, I and, knew oh, what that do you mean by way. medical intervention? Uh, <laughs> do you mean IVF? Yeah. Like, yeah, like for, yeah. Fertility or IVF. Yeah. I wasn't even at that young age, I wasn't ready to accept that as my story. I knew that there had to be another way. I knew that I didn't know what it was at the time, Yeah, but I knew there was going to be another way. <laughs> yeah. You trusted yourself. And so you didn't go, um, with the surgery or, um, the laser treatment. Oh, that's what, that's what he had. He, that's what he did at that time. At that time was he had lasered off everything that he saw there. Did that have a positive impact on your health? Yeah, I had a lot of relief. And so he had put me on this medication called Lupron. It puts you into a medically induced uh, or chemically induced menopause. And I lasted, I think I was supposed to do it for six to nine months. And I only lasted three months on it. It made Why? me just feel horrible. I couldn't, I, I lost a lot of weight. I wasn't eating because I just felt so horrible. I got to where I was eating. I was having one like remember those really gross, like slim bass shakes. I would have yeah. one of, I got to where I was having one of those a day. I would oh, lost a lot of weight. I just felt horrible in every way, emotionally, physically. I felt like I was turning into this crazy person with all these weird things and hormones and it's, chemicals um, in my body. Yeah. It's, um, it, it's funny you mentioned that because I've had some friends in the past who, you know, try different kind of pills and the side effects of them were, you know, they were, you know, feeling depressed or they were migraines or, you know, at some point, I remember one even said that she was starting to have suicidal thoughts. So it's crazy what this um, chemical hormones can do to the body. Yeah, it, yeah, it is. I just, yeah, like, I remember calling the doctor's office, like, you know, to ask to talk to him and nobody would let me talk to him. Nobody would let me make this appointment with him, like in between my monthly injections. I don't know. You know, I, I was 18, 19 at the time. And, you know, I remember telling them like horrible and they were, you know, no, you can't see him until your next injection. So I ended up just canceling that appointment. And Um, so you stopped the medication. Yeah. And they, they called me, I remember them calling me because it was an expensive, um, (laughs) injection. I remember them calling me, they were like, you know, are you coming in? And I said, no, this is making me feel horrible. And do you remember I tried calling you to get in? Nobody would let me come in. And (laughs) I was like, I'm done. Bye. (laughs) Yeah. 
I feel like, you know, your experience, I haven't had the same, you know, kind of experience, but I've had experiences with um, doctors that were also very unpleasant. You know, you go there and you tell them about your symptoms and, you know, it's like, it's not important. Like, you know, what you're feeling or they try to give you a medication and medication is not working, but they're not trying to look for something else. You know, I, I felt that you know, throughout my life, I felt that like, like the regular doctor, like, they just wouldn't, they just wouldn't hear me. Yeah, yeah. I understand that. It's, it's sad, you know, and they're very limited on their time that they have with you. Yeah, you know, and what I've learned from all of this is it's so important to be your own advocate during this process and to go into these appointments, you know, with you know, with research done and, you know, feeling empowered and, you know, we weren't really taught or like understood how to do that, but I really, yeah. You know, they say, uh, you know, never go, you know, never Google up your symptoms, uh, or anything, but you know, that (laughs) honestly on my journey of healing with, you know, my anxiety, my panic attacks and all the physical symptoms that I had looking my symptoms up on, on the internet, honestly was so helpful because I was able to understand so many things. And now when I go to the doctor, like, I'm like, okay, I feel like I have some uh, symptoms now. Like, I feel like I have a low um, level of iron, for example. Okay, so I want a blood test. So now when I go to the doctor, I don't don't go to the doctor very often now. But when I go, I, I ask for what I want. I don't wait for them to tell me what it might be or what kind of test I should be making. I tell them exactly what I want and what I think it is. So that's exactly what you said. You know, I go there uh, from an empowered uh, place and I'm like, okay, you know, like I know, like I know my body. I know what I'm going through. I just need you to, you know, check that and see if I'm correct. In my whole life, I've met one or two very helpful and very compassionate, compassionate doctors. Yes. Oh, I totally understand it. I just, yeah, I feel horrible for, you know, anyone who has to experience that. Yeah, when I is. got pregnant with my kid, with my babies and would had a midwife for all three of my babies. And it was like my appointments, you know, when you go into the doctor, you get like 10 minutes and like, that is it. Like you have to be fast and, you know, have all your questions ready. You know, like you were talking about when I went in for my midwife appointments, I felt like I was like hanging out with my best friend. Um, <laughs> you know, I just felt like she, she had the time to answer every question. I did her. I felt so safe and loved and, you know, like they were even excited for me. It was just a complete different experience that I know that I would have had with any doctors. And I am so beyond grateful that I was able to have such a beautiful experience um, with her. Yeah just complete 180 from doctors. Yeah, because you know, after um after you like you did this surgery, then your yeah, your father died, right? Cuz I I know we're going to be talking yeah. about your beautiful babies right after, but like I just yeah, I just want to kind of like um No, no, yeah, yeah, you're good. I, I had to that have the, happened. I had to- <laughs> Because they had to throw the contrast of the midwife yeah, and the doctor in there. Because <laughs> yeah. there was the yeah, endometriosis. Oh, sorry, there was the endometriosis um, diagnosis, and um, then you know, a couple of years later, your father passed away. 
And yeah. uh, so, so he passed away, like not even four years after your mother, your mother died. And that was also quite a story. Yeah, it's very unexpected. So he had remarried very soon after my mom passed. Oh, it's hard to remember. I feel like he had remarried a within a year or two of my mom passing. So he had met somebody on the one of these Mormon dating sites. You know, it's like a match.com for Mormons, right? <laughs> so <laughs> back in the days, you didn't have Tinder. <laughs> Yeah. 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 So funny. Um, you know, on the dial up internet. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. So he had met this woman, um, you know, he just, he just couldn't be alone. He was just one of those, those, you know, he just couldn't, couldn't, yeah. didn't want to be alone. So he remarried really, really quickly. Um, so I stopped kind of having a relationship with him. She had just kind of done, I don't know what kind of manipulated, you know, said, done some things that kind of pushed him away from all of us kids. Um, you know, even my younger brother, who's three years younger than me, who was still in high school, you know, they had like dropped him off at my sister's house to live. Like it was very odd. Not, yeah. not my dad. It was like, my dad was like a shell of himself. You know, she, there was just some real weird foul play with, with her, you know, like kind of keeping him medicated up. She had, um, gotten him to sign over his life insurance policies and, you know, any money that he had over to her so that she got that when um, he had passed away. I feel like this is one of those like lifetime movies that you watch. (laughs) So when, so when you passed away, you know, basically like there was no, like there was nothing for you and your siblings. Right. Yeah. It was very, very odd. All of it was very odd. And um, and you and you had a heart problem, right? From the moment you were born, you had this heart condition. Yeah, I wouldn't. I it's so I wouldn't necessarily call it a heart condition. It's more of a congen a, a congenital defect. Um, so you know, when we're babies in the womb, our heart has a certain a different system to where you know we're connected yeah. to the um, you know, the placenta to breathe uh, or to get our, our nourishment. So when the baby takes the first breath, it, it activates some hormones for that, for the PDA to close. So mine never closed. It was never an issue for me growing up. I never had any heart problems or heart symptoms. Um, but yeah, I had gone to the doctor. I had had this funny little spider bite on my arm that was starting to look kind of gnarly. So, you know, everybody at work was like, you need to go get some antibiotics for that. <laughs> So I had ran over like on my lunch break to a doctor just near, near my office that I was working at. And for some reason he had listened to my heart and he said, has anybody told you you have a heart defect? And I said, no, nobody's ever told me that. You know, I remember he was like, are you scared? I said, well, should I be, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And he's like, well, he's like, you know, he was just so curious that nobody had ever heard that before. He said, it is, you know, kind of an art to hear that defect that's so quiet but yeah it was just interesting that nobody had heard that before you know I'd been to like I guess because most of my experience with doctors was like OBGYNs who aren't really interested yeah. in the heart right it's <laughs> so true. anyways um yeah so I, ha- I I went through three surgeries having that done so my first doctor was like one of the like best 
cardiologists in the state that I lived in and he couldn't. So basically what they were doing was putting this little spring in. So where the hole was, and then my heart would form scar tissue over it and it would close the hole. It seems very simple, but he couldn't, he couldn't get it to stay in for some reason. So I ended up having to go to the children's hospital because they're more familiar with that procedure. They're usually doing it okay. babies. So he was able to get, but, um, the, after the first, the first surgery I had, um, I, you know, you have to lay still, you have to like lay on your back. Like you can't move at all. I can't remember the, the reasoning why, but for like hours afterwards. And I had to like, I remember like watching the clock to when I could get up to go pee and I had to pee so bad. I didn't have like a, what is it called? That they like, a, a, is it a catheter or whatever? Yeah. I think yeah. I didn't have one of those. Yeah. I had to pee so bad. So as soon as it was my time, I buzzed the nurse, told her I was like going to the bathroom and you know, she offered to help, but I was like, just get out of my way. Just <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I locked the door behind me and my, my heart had a pause in it. My heart stopped for like, it wasn't for very long, like less than 30 seconds, might've been 10 seconds or something. And I crashed on the floor. I broke some of my front teeth. But what happened was, I mean, I don't know if you would call that a near death experience, but like something happened. I remember feeling this like really peaceful, beautiful place. But what happened afterwards was, you know, so much of my life started to fall apart. I felt like really numb in certain aspects of my life. And the church was one of those. I remember being at church and feeling like, this is not right. There's something's not right here. And, you know, I'm not supposed to be here. Um, You know, so I had soon, you know, within a year or two of this happening, I had, you know, left a job that I had been at for a long time for eight, eight or nine years. Um, you know, some of my relationships started to fall apart, but it was like this just kind of unraveling in my life that was happening. May I ask you something about the moment, you know, you literally lost consciousness and, you know, fell down on the floor. You said that um, it felt very peaceful. And uh, did you see anything? So, <laughs> I sometimes I saw my grandma and I remember her like kind of screwing around like what are you doing what are you doing here and I remember there was something else that I remember was like feeling so light on my feet like not feeling the heaviness that we feel or the density that we feel on earth I remember feeling like I could just glide those were the two things that I remember (laughs) so you had a near-death experience because you had this feeling of lightness and this kind of like out of body experience. And you said you saw someone like you saw your grandma. And that's usually what happens during a near death experience. It's, um, you know, some people would say that, you know, they, you know, they kind of like see a tunnel or, and you know, like there are different kind of um, explanations to um, the things that people see during a near death experience. Um you clearly had one because I read so many books, so many books about it. And um, I also had a training, not in that field, but was more of a spiritual esoteric kind of thing um, to help people, you know, get rid of all sorts of interference and people who had near death experiences, you know, they would, you know, they would see things just like, just like you did. 
Um, oh. So yeah, it was indeed a near-death experience. And and there's also a shift. When usually people have a near-death experience, then there is they feel a huge shift in their life. In their lives, uh, it's like okay. Uh, okay. a lot of things change. And that's exactly what you're you're saying. That after that moment, it was like you awaken to yourself. Yeah, yeah. It was like anything that like my soul did not want in my life was was unraveling. I had some really big shifts within the next few years. So, yeah. No, I love hearing that because you know I was still in the in the in the Mormon Church, and I remember like wanting to read these books about near-death experiences mm-hmm. and wanting to understand what had happened. But I was only reading it through that lens of the Mormon church. Yeah. So no, I love hearing. Yeah. I love that. That's, that feels so spot on. And, um, and what shifted then? Cause you said like within the next two years, a lot of things shifted in your life and what shifted yeah, beside so, the, the church. Cause you left the church then, right? Yeah. Yeah. That was kind of my initial like leaving. There was there was another layer to it that we that we'll get to, right? Um, But yeah, yeah, I was just like felt so felt so dead there. I felt so dead at my job. Felt so dead with certain friendships and and relationships. Um, Not that there was anything wrong with them, but it was just my soul was just ready to like shed. So um, yeah, so I had started another another job. And just in that, I felt a sense of, you know, because I'd been in this other job for a really long time. So just in having another job, I had felt some, you know, sense of, okay, I can kind of go do what I want now, like a little bit of freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had, I was still like not having, okay, so from the time that I had had that first surgery at 18 for my endometriosis, I had another one when I was like 22, I think. And there was just a little bit that the doctor had lasered off. And then she just told me to just keep staying on the pill, which I think I did for a few more years. I, I don't remember at what point I came off of the pill, but you know, my periods were better, like everything was better, but it, I knew that it wasn't still quite right. So at that point, okay, after I had had those three back-to-back surgeries, I felt really sluggish in my body. I felt really tired, really foggy. Um, you know, and I, I've always been, you know, interested in the alternatives and alternative medicine, yeah. things like that. So I was at my chiropractor and I had mentioned that to him and he said, yeah, yeah. You know, um, he's this cute Iranian man and, um, mm-hmm. his wife is from India and she brings in like all of these beautiful herbs and just all this beautiful stuff to their office. It's such a neat place. And, you know, he's like, you know, bringing you these, um, this cleanse that I need to do for my liver. He's like, yeah, yeah, you have to cleanse yeah. your, you have to get all that, the anesthesia out of your liver. And so I remember doing that and just feeling so much better. Um, and, you know, I was like, that kind of woke a little bit up in me. I was like, I want to do more cleansing. I want to do more fasts. And I remember like going to, um, okay, what year was this? This is like 2008. So we still had Barnes and Noble. Do you guys have those in Europe, the bookstores? No. No, no okay. <laughs> but I, not- I've been, uh, I've been in one when I was in New York. Oh, okay. Yeah, they're not really around. I mean, sometimes I'll see one every once in a while, but they're not really around all that much. But I loved to go hang out at the Barnes Noble and read books. So, um, yeah, I was like, you know, kind of dabbling with like these, like you know, the master cleanse. That's like the maple syrup and the lemon juice and yeah. cayenne pepper and water fast. So I was like. I had done like a 10 day, one of those. And I was just like, 
I don't know. I was just wanting to just, I don't know. That was kind of what was up in my world was, was cleansing, you know, wanting mm-hmm. to live in a body that felt a lot yeah. better. Um, so there was this book, um, I was getting into some of the raw food books cause that was kind of what was trendy at that time. And there was one book in, in particular that had, um, been like sticking out to me, but I kind of rolled my eyes. I was like, Oh, it looks like just one of those other like raw books, raw food books. But I ended up buying the book and taking it home. And, um, it felt like, you know, my mom was very into all these alternative things. I grew up drinking carrot juice and, you know, my mom doing colonics while when she wasn't feeling good. And, Mm. Um, I mean, I remember going to an iridologist as a kid and just all these, you know, fun little, which is quite, uh, which is not Mm. very usual for uh, the typical American family, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. We're kind of the the weird ones. (laughs) 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 Um, but like, especially in a, you know, rural, (laughs) um, and, uh, town. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because my mom was always traveling, you know, very far to go to these, these therapists that she would go to or these, you know, naturopaths. Um, so yes, when I was reading this book, um, you know, there was a lot of stuff that I had grew up with, you know, she talks about, um, you know, it's, it's, it's all about cleansing, but there was just so much I felt like it was starting to put these puzzle pieces together of what I was missing. Cause I always knew like, what am I missing? Like, what am yeah. I missing here? Like I'm missing something. And so, um, I did her, I did her cleanse for like a month or so. Um, and there was, you know, I wasn't able to do the colonics like she had mentioned, you know, cause there's, um, you know, if you're waking all of this stuff up in your body, then you want to make sure that things are leaving. I wasn't able to do that. I wasn't able okay. to find anybody near me, but I just continued doing this, um, you know, for maybe a year or so. Um, so I had met, I had met Tanner, my now husband, somewhere in the middle of all of this. Um, you know, and I'll just kind of fast forward to, you know, maybe you're into it. Um, so a lot of rearranged my life. I felt like my own soul was like doing this big rearrangement, this big yeah. unraveling in my life. After right? your you know, awakening. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So fast forward to like 2010. 2010, I think, no, 2011. So Tanner and I had been dating for a while, long distance. So we lived three, four hours apart. Um, so I'm just going to fast That's forward. That's a lot. To, yeah, yeah. So we would try to see each other like on the weekends. You know, you're going <laughs> to laugh here, but here in Switzerland, you know, it's a very tiny country. Like, like I'm not sure people would be up to um, date someone who lives like three or four hours away from them. They would be like, you know, even here, them like just one hour is too much already (laughs) (laughs) oh that's so funny yeah so spread everything's so spread apart but see when i lived in phoenix it took an hour to drive from like one side of phoenix to the other side of phoenix yeah it's like everything is bigger in the usa right wow yeah no i need to come visit you and (laughs) yeah yeah this is (laughs) so small (laughs) (laughs) oh i love that um, okay. Yeah. So fast forward to 2011. And yeah. for some reason, it's when I had moved in with him, it was like, I had left, you know, I had left my job. I had, I found another job up here, but it was just this, this bigger opportunity for me to just focus on myself and focus on, you know, my relationship with him. It was just like this big fat permission slip that I needed. And mm-hmm. I just went 
all in on not only like my physical body, but I had found this woman and she was, and you're going to laugh at this one too, because I was driving every week, um, an hour and a half to go see this woman who would do energy healing on me Mm -hmm. and do a colonic. And I mean, let me tell you just three months into it, I was starting to have these periods that I didn't even know that I would be about to start my period because I wasn't having any, any symptoms anymore. And I mean, just so much was shifting. I mean, I look at pictures of me from like, um, you know, a year, just like a year difference. And Mm -hmm. I look like a completely different person, but, um, you know what, what happened? One of the biggest things one of, it was this woman, the book that I had purchased, her name's Natalia Rose. And she, you know, went on to become one of my mentors. I traveled to New York city to do a couple of yeah. workshops and, um, I just really adore her and I'm grateful for my, yeah, and you got your certification from her, right? Yeah. 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 One of, one of my nutrition certificate, my, my detoxification certifications okay. through her. Yeah. Um, it's one of the things that she said, you know, she would have, you know, these like neat little audios in her, on her website. And I did some of our courses, but one of the things I remember her saying was, um, I would never, you know, I don't take advice anymore from somebody who's fuzzy headed and hasn't done their inner work. And I mean, not that we all have to be perfect at doing all of this, this work, but it just means somebody who's, you know, not aware of like what they're seeing. But what happened to me was I was just like, holy shit, like every single, I've never listened to myself. I've only listened to some, a man at church. I've listened to doctors. I've listened to my bosses. I've listened to my school teachers. I've yeah. never listened to myself. Like what the hell? <laughs> you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. Um, so that was another layer of, um, of the church. There was, there was something else that happened in, in one of the energy healing sessions, you know, past life stuff was not something that I grew up with hearing about, you know, and whether it's all true or not, um, it was what I had needed to hear at that time. But, you know, this woman that I was doing this energy healer work, she, yeah. she's, she's talking about some past life I had. And I'm like, what does this mean? I don't know what this means. Talk to me like a kindergartner, you know, <laughs> <laughs> But just hearing her say that, because, you know, as a Mormon, You've come a long way since then, right? <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, there's like so many, so many layers to, to the awakening. Yeah, so she, talking about the past life stuff, um, you know, as growing up as a Mormon, there's like this, this sense of doom, because you have one life. If you mess up your one life, you're doomed to like, eternal damnation in this like fiery hell, right? Yeah. I was about so, to ask you, you know, do you go to hell? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and I'm like, you know, I, I look at my little brother who's had this hellacious life. He lost his mom, you know, his, his dad like abandoned him and, yeah. you know, he's like not in a great place. And I look at him and I'm like, is this the only chance he gets? You know, that doesn't feel right to me. So when I heard about past lives, it just opened something else up in me to where I was able to explore things that were outside of, of the church. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah a different was, kind of, you know, a different kind of perspective. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. And while, you know, this was back in what, like 2011, right? So, you know, the teachings that were, that were around there, you know, a lot of those kind of new age spirituality, but that was what I needed to bring myself out of being in this very, I went through that as well. Religion. Don't, yeah. (laughs) Don't worry. (laughs) I've been there. Come out of it as well. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have had it any other way. Like that's, that was exactly what I needed at the time. And that was, that was what was available for us at the time. Of course. Too, so. Yeah. <laughs> my final, like my final, final straw with the church was, um, I can't remember. Okay. So I was, I was reading a lot of books at that time. You know, there's just a lot of all these, you know, new agey, whatever, yeah. spiritual teachings. And yeah, yeah. for some reason, you know, there's the, the life coach, Martha Beck. Her, one of her books had popped up like on my Amazon suggestions. Does Amazon still do that? Or am I imagining this? I don't know. No, I think they still do that. Yeah. When you buy a book, for example, they would suggest something else. Yeah. They still do that. And and I'm sure that's how they make even more money because, you know, it's kind of like to uh, tempt people to buy more. (laughs) Yeah. True. True. So I had, I heard one of her books suggestions popped up and it was called leaving the saints and finding my faith, something like that. I can't remember the exact name of the book, but I I ordered it right away because I saw that it was about the Mormon church. And I was like, what? I'm really curious about this. So when I got it, I had to work the next day and I stayed up until three in the morning reading this book, but it was like, oh, it was like, I don't know what happened. I just, I couldn't put it down and it felt like everything that I had ever wondered about my life and about the church I was getting the answers to. And I started Whoa. to understand some of the, tr- the history around the church that I didn't know growing up that, you know, I was okay. lied to about and it felt so gross and so heavy. And I just, I knew that I could never, ever go back to it. Like that, that, yeah, you were done. that was done. That was done. Yeah. There was no looking back. I was done. And, you know, the interesting thing about that was around that time, uh, several people started to publish some books with information that was in this book that I had read um, around the church history and around things that were hidden from us. And many, it, it has caused this like floodgate of people waking up to it and leaving. It's been interesting. But it's still a very popular religion in the u.s yeah yeah it is for sure there's a a guy i follow who does a podcast on you know it's just it's called more Story, mormon stories you know and he just talks of you know it's he's very kind uh he was kicked out of the church um yeah he his podcast just kind of tells these stories about why people have left the church, but yeah, he's been sharing that, you know, people, people are getting, you know, when we were kids, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have all these books. And now that people, you know, the, the information age is here and we're able to, you know, understand what is really going on underneath all of it. So yeah, it still is a very big church. It's one of the richest, it's a corporation. They have over a billion, you know, they have like $10 billion. Whoa. (laughs) Crazy, right? (laughs) That's another (laughs) That's another na- story. Yeah. In the like, name of God. What are you doing? Yeah. Yes. Like, yeah, it's to, I guess they're supposed to save it for when Jesus comes back. But, you know, in the meantime, <laughs> I don't know. I, like I wonder what, maybe, uh, and, you know, I wonder what Jesus hunger. would be doing with all that money. 
I know, rich Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> I'm. I'm sure that maybe. I don't know. Sorry, I have so many. You know, like the Vatican, they head. have like tons, tons of money as well. You know. Yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah, well, I have an opinion Anyways. on that. And I'm sure you t- do too. But that's not the topic of today's <laughs> episode. Another. That's gonna be for another, another episode, one. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> And and so, yeah, you had your awakening and, you know, you started doing all this healing and all um, this cleansing. What made you want to help others, you know, um, with cleansing and detox? And does it come from your own journey or did you find your passion, you know, uh-huh. thanks to your journey? Yeah, I think it's I think it's both um, because, yeah, it was when I started to feel better you know, I wanted to start teaching that it was like, you know, I wanted everybody to be able to experience like all of these puzzle pieces that I had been able to, to put together. I loved talking about it. I loved sharing about it. Um, so yeah, I was, you know, looking up like, you know, the, what was, what's going to be, you know, the easiest way for me to, you know, get certified to start helping other people. So I got certified through, um, a school in San Diego. I did that, you know, while I was, um, working full time, you know, working on my certification, certification, and then for the nutrition. And then I also did Natalia's certification. So that included, you know, doing a couple of her workshops and trainings in New York. And, you know, it was just, it was something that was that I was living and breathing and, you know, just really loving and, you know, why not, you know, bring this into my life and help other people with it. Yeah. And then, you, you know, you had children, right? Even though you were told years before that, you know, you would have problems um, having kids, but how did um, all the nutrition and, you know, the cleansing helped with your um, endometriosis? Yeah. So um, just a few months, I think I had mentioned a little bit of this earlier. I go into a little bit more depth. But yeah, so a few months into the cleansing, yeah, I started to notice that like my periods would start to sneak up on me rather than like having all of these symptoms leading up to a period, right? And they started to get lighter. They started to get so much easier. I mean, just everything was getting better in my body, you know, in relation to and all these symptoms that I had. you were also so, doing the, the energy healing and the colonics, right? At the same time. Yeah, I was, yeah, I was doing a lot of inner work. So there was the first year that I was living with Tanner was like this big, just this huge year of not only physically healing my body, but just the inner work. There was so much inner work going on. It was like, I feel like I was on this accelerated path of just getting everything out of my life that wasn't serving to me anymore, whether it was like emotional trauma, um, you know, physical junk in my body. I was just on this accelerated path. So a little, just, just a year into it. Um, yeah. Like my period was like completely different than what it had been, been like before. Um, and so, yeah, a year into this, I got pregnant with Clary and I felt like, wow, like this was what this was, a you know, I mean, whether this is all true or not, but I just felt this is what like I was being prepared for, you know, a lot of it was to be able to like carry this, you know, I I started to feel really connected to like this, this spirit baby. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just felt like, you know, she could, she didn't want to come in 
to a body that, you know, had all these symptoms and, you know, yeah. all this like, you know, toxicity, but she also didn't want to come into my life when I had all of this other shit there. Right. Mm-hmm. And did you feel that? Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, was I sensing that around the pregnancy? Is that what you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I, and you know, it's funny because when I met her, when I met Clary as a baby, like, yeah, like I, I could feel this powerful little baby. And I knew that like, she wasn't here to mess around. Like she wasn't <laughs> here to mess around with me, not being in my power, me not understanding who I was like, she, you know, she wasn't here for that. <laughs> she needed me to be me in my power, me like, you know, embodying more yeah. of my soul. And uh, <laughs> my question would be, so you had such a powerful connection to her soul, right? From the get go. And, and you had left the church, like the Mormon church, you know, just a few years before. And, but did you know at the time that you were psychic and a medium? No, I, I never, never, never thought that like I would have those abilities. Never. No. <laughs> so you thought that it was just, you know, like intuition or, you know, that we were probably just more sensitive to uh, the energies or something. Um, yeah. Oh, well, oh, okay. Sorry. I probably answered that wrong. Yeah. When I was, yeah, I guess even early on, I didn't think that like I was one of those ones to start to have those, those abilities. But as I started doing my inner work, like I started, <coughs> excuse me. I mean, I started to notice things like, you know, going into a store and I would be like more sensitive to the subtle energies. I started to notice that. And I was kind of being mentored by this woman that I was doing yeah. energy work and she was helping, starting to help me to make sense of that. But before that, I would have thought, oh, I would not me. Like I would never be able to have those sort of like gifts or powers or whatever. Right. So, so you had this belief from, you know, early on that you, that you were not the person that could have those gifts, but the moment you awakened to yourself and you started doing the, the inner work, then you were more in tune with yourself and therefore you, your abilities kind of like um, started to show up. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that I can so relate to what you're saying because I've, you know, from the moment I was, you know, early on, like as a child, I was about around five and I I knew, you know, I had those psychic, um, well, I didn't know they were psychic gifts, but I know that I had, I knew that I was different, that I could sense um, things differently and that I could hear and see and, and all that, and all that. But it was really when I, and so I was always intuitive, right? A whole, but it was really when I had my burnout and I really reconnected with my authentic self that things really started shifting and that I became really more in tune with myself and with my psychic gifts. So that makes a lot of sense. And I think maybe, you know, when we have all this inner crap, we are unable to fully uh, embody our, who we truly are and our gifts. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, I love that you, yeah, that we had that similar story with it because it's like still had the, you know, we're able to have those gifts but, and maybe that's what pulled us out. That's like what was pulling us out of that we were in, 
even though we weren't quite in tune or understood what it was, what yeah. was happening. Mm. Yeah, for sure. And and so yeah, and so you had Chloe, right? And um, yeah. and you had a home delivery, or no? It's real high. Is that how you guys would say it? Like home delivery or home birth? Yeah, home birth. Yep. Yep, had her home in the in because the home delivery tub. kind of feels like you know like FedEx just you know showed up at your door and uh, gave you the baby, which the was not the case at all. Yeah. But yeah, and now you have three three um three amazing kids that you had you know that you conceived naturally, and um and yeah, you you gave birth to them at home, not in a hospital, at home, and yeah. I found this to be, I'm completely amazed uh, by this because, you know, I, I've never given birth to a child and uh, that's the thing. Like, I'm kind of afraid. I'm afraid of that, to be honest. And even though I wouldn't want to deliver in a hospital because I know what it's like and I wouldn't want that for myself. Um, and here you have some sort of, they call that the um, birth homes. It's basically yeah, a birth cent birth center. Yeah. Yeah, yep, kind of yes. Or we call it a birth center here. Yeah. 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 And, and so you have this alternative, not in France, but you have that here in Switzerland. And so I would probably go to one of those. But yeah, how did that feel like? Because and you know, now like with modern medicine, like everyone's like, Oh my god, are you giving birth to your kids at home? Oh my god, that you know, like giving birth is like the most uh dangerous thing in the world. And don't get me wrong, I know that there can be some complications and, you know, you need to have the medical help if something goes wrong. But it's something that women have been doing for thousands of years. And now just, you know, doing a home birth is like the weirdest thing ever when women did that for thousands of years. So please share, um, if you don't mind, I would love to hear, you know, what it's like to give birth at home and without all that medical and sometimes unnecessary support. Yeah. You know, honestly, it feels like one of those things that's just been hijacked and inverted and twisted around so many days because I mean, if you look at the history of a birth, you know, yeah, we went from, you know, being in touch with our, our bodies and ourselves to, you know, if you look back in the, you know, earlier 1900s where they were doing these twilight births where they would, you know, put the woman to sleep and she would wake up and have this baby. And then they started having all these problems with nursing and all these things because they're, they're losing all of these um, hormonal activations that need to happen. Yeah. And, um, you know, all these processes that need to happen so that, you know, the, the mom's making milk and she's having, um, you know, she's um, touching and interacting with the baby because those are all important, very important processes. Um, yeah, of course. So, yeah, you know, the, the one thing I will say though, it did, it did require having the babies at home did require a lot of inner work because you really have to tune sure. out <laughs> what everybody is saying to you. I mean, I can't tell you how many people projected all of their fear onto us. Um, you know, like I, I had people pulling Tanner aside and, you know, <laughs> asking him like, is this okay? Is this safe? Like, you know, all of these yeah. things that can happen. And I mean, it just, it just required me going into this, this cave. 
of <laughs> like, a, you know, like a cat, you know, have you ever seen a cat have a baby? Like they yeah, need to yeah. go into the dark and be alone. You know, I've really felt like that, but, um, you know, even leading up to it, you know, I told Tanner, like, if I'm saying that I want to go to the hospital in the middle of this, like, please remind me why I'm doing this. You know, my why was because I wanted something harmonious and, um, you know, to be in my safe place. It wasn't yeah. this like out of fear. It was, I wanted a harmonious and beautiful birth. Um, and there was a point where I was like, I can't do this, you know, especially with the first one, you don't know what to expect and you don't know how much longer it's going to yeah, be. I mean, I had these very quick births, very easy, but <laughs> yeah, the first one, I had no idea. Like, you know, when you go into active labor, I'm like, am I going to be doing this for 20 hours? Like they show on oh the movies, like, yeah. I don't know if I can do this, um, but it just was the most beautiful experience ever like you know tanner would always describe like as soon as clary was born like the room completely shifted to like you know just this quiet peace like everything shifted in the room and like all of the attention was just on the baby you know and once i got out of the water and was on the couch you know it was just like me and clary you know her just exploring where she was like you know looking around it wasn't like in the hospital where you know yeah. like the baby's crying and getting cleaned up and slapped around and all these things it was you know she was you know skin to skin on my chest and you know she nursed and it was just you know me just looking at this this child who'd been in my belly for for nine months and just wanting to know who she was and it was just such a beautiful experience between me and Clary and Tanner just all so yeah. beautiful honestly how you describe the scene is just so beautiful and so such a contrast to what a lot of people experience um, when they give birth to their, well, you know, at um, in a hospital. And um, that also made me, you know, that also makes me realize, because I had a traumatic birth. Um, and uh, it's not something that I was thinking about, you know, growing up. But when I started to do all the inner work and hypnosis and all that, and a few months back, I um, regressed to my birth, and um, and it was a very traumatic birth because I, you know, the moment I was born, first of all, there was no heating in the room, and it was in October, and it was raining outside, and it was very cold, and my mom, she had lost a lot of blood, and um, and so I experienced that through hypnosis, and basically from the moment I was born, I felt so disconnected to the outside world because I was around tons of strangers and it was cold and I didn't know them and it didn't feel welcoming to me at all. And my mother, you know, she had lost quite, she had lost, you know, um, some, some blood and, and she wasn't very present, you know, in, in she wasn't there in our power during the birth. So it felt like I couldn't rely on her either. So I, I feel like there's a lot of trauma that can happen um, during uh, birth for a child. Yeah, it's, and you know, like you were talking about, you know, this, you know, uncomfortableness in the outside world, you know, that's our first imprint. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, I had, I had a little bit of tra trauma too with mine. My mom um, wanted to have me at home and I was breached. Her midwife wasn't quite trained or capable of, mm -hmm. you know, doing a breach birth. So they rushed me to the hospital, which was 30 minutes away and had to like flip me around. 
<laughs> instead of just letting me come the way that I wanted to come. Right. Yeah. So, you know, you can kind of put two and two together right there. I was like, well, I wanted to come this way and they were like reaching in and moving me around and making me do it this other way. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, that was one of the things that my chiropractor's wife was like, oh, you, you know, she, she wanted to have me do a session with her friend who did these, um, you know, healing the birth traumas because, mm-hmm. you know, as you know, we're going to carry that into our experience. Of, of course. Birth. So just another opportunity to, you know, <laughs> let go of something else. <laughs> yeah. And then, um, and then you had um, two little boys at home as well. And, uh, and you said that the experience was smoother this, this two yeah. times, right? Yeah. So uh, Hudson was our, uh, I think I was at 41 weeks with Hudson and he, I woke up in the middle of the night, not having contractions, but I just kept feeling funny. Like I had to pee. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, I went to tell Tanner that, <laughs> that I was like feeling weird. And then I started going into like these hard contractions and he's like, all right, I'm calling our midwife. So, and she's three hours, she's three hours away. So oh my God. Tanner's, Tanner's rushing around. That was like the one night that we went to bed. We'd stayed up late watching some movies and, you know, we'd had dinner and that was the one night that we didn't clean up the kitchen before going to bed. So Tanner's <laughs> Tanner has been, he's always like the best birth partner. Like he, I couldn't have asked for better, but he's rushing around, like worrying about cleaning the kitchen. And I'm like, who cares? You know, who cares? (laughs) Like our midwife, like she's great. Like she doesn't care. So he's getting the birth tub filled up and I just get in my own bathtub, like in the bathroom and I'm sniffing this like beautiful essential oil blend that my friend had sent me. I mean, I am like sniffing it like, like it's drugs. (laughs) Cause it was, it went from like nothing to like active labor. And I remember, you know, Tanner's on the phone with the midwife, just giving her updates like every few minutes. So he comes in and he, I remember he told the midwife, she's making pushing noises because <laughs> your body, like your body just takes over Yeah, and I, I, you can't help it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah there's a natural like, process that when, I mean, when you give birth naturally, there's a natural process that takes over, which may not be the case when you're at the hospital and they, you know, tell you to push when you don't feel like pushing or, you know, they start giving you medication to kind of like activate the, um, the process and all these things. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. I, I would be so mad telling me somebody not to push or when I needed to, I, I can't imagine what some of these women go through. So um, we ended up getting, uh, my midwife sent one of her older clients over and her husband is, uh, and she's had four or five children. Um, her husband is an EMT. So she sends them over. And as soon as I get into the birth tub um, and they come in the door, it was like, as soon as I heard this woman's voice, like something in me just kind of shifted and relaxed a little bit more. Okay. And she came over and she was holding my hand and she was, you know, telling me to reach down to feel, you know, if I could feel his head or anything. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, like, I wasn't doing anything. I wasn't pushing. My body just like breathed him out. Like I didn't have any pain. I didn't tear. It It just like breathed him out. And I was like, what's happening here? (laughs) (laughs) But it was just such an awesome experience. Yeah, it sounds, you know, pretty amazing and very unlike all the experiences that I've heard so far. 
when it comes to giving birth. Yeah. I just am so grateful for the experience that I had with with birthing my children. Yeah, and and there was and that was a second, right? There was a second yeah. um, delivery, and then there was a third one. And was it similar? Yeah. Very similar to the second one, or was it like even even smoother? You know, Blake's was a little bit different. Um, I felt a little bit more rushed and kind of a little bit more pressure from my midwife because I, what happens, <laughs> what happens is she was really worried about missing the birth. So she told, you know, she wanted me to call her as soon as I was starting to have any type of harder contractions. Okay. So she came up once and she brought a doctor with her who, you know, she always brings somebody, but I don't think she had a, she usually has an apprentice or a, a student midwife. She didn't have that. So she brought this doctor and I think that I felt more intimidated and like a little, I don't know what happened in my body, but my body shut off and I just stopped. So I ended up having them go back home. Um, you know, and she came back up a few days later and she was a little, uh, you know, I love her to death, but I wasn't, for some reason, I wasn't as in my power as I could have been. And, you know, I was feeling this pressure to like get this baby out while she was up here because she traveled so far. She, this was her second yeah. time coming. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I was just feeling all this pressure to like go on these walks and get labor moving. Um, I mean, it was still was, um, it was really fun though, because Clary, how old was she? Clary was five. So Clary was my little birth coach. She was there <laughs> at, the, at the birth tub. She was kind of rubbing my back for me. She's holding my hand. She was like telling me to push and just being my little birth coach. Clary got to watch Blake come out. So that was exciting. And Blake was our surprise baby. We didn't know if he was a boy or girl. Um, Clary had named him strawberry. She was really set on him being a girl. (laughs) 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 So she was a little disappointed. So as soon as she found out that it was a boy, she, she She was like, Oh my God, I am outnumbered. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. She went off to the couch and just kind of like sat there. She was a little mad that it wasn't a girl, (laughs) (laughs) but it still was like, you know, this, this fun experience, but it was a learning thing for me to see like, okay, I was at my third birth. Like, I could, if I had another one, I would love for it to be more hands-off, more, you know, after experiencing what I experienced with Hudson, I would love to experience something less hands-on and just let my body do its thing. Yeah. So it was a little less, it was a lesson for me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but it's pretty amazing. And um, yeah, and now you are, um, yeah, and now you're back to, you know, um, nutrition and, but you've had it something else, right? Which you didn't really use before the intuitive healing part, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I brought a little bit, of, I brought a little bit of it into my work. Um, I would do these spirit baby sessions. Um, you know, a big part of my work has been around um, preconception cleansing, because, you know, preparing my body and, you know, my relationships and, you know, my, my emotional work, um, before having a baby was such a big thing that was, um, you know, something that started to come up more, you know, I'd get more women coming, wanting to, you know, do the same preparation for their bodies. And so one of the things that I brought into my work was, um, spirit baby sessions, you know, connecting these women to, to their spirit baby. And it, it gave them, you know, whether they had been through a miscarriage or an abortion or um, they were just, you know, preparing to have a baby, it was just so nice to have these messages and um, kind I of need one guidance. of those. <laughs> oh, let's do it. They're so fun. They're so fun. 
so yeah so I, I i brought that in and then yeah now i'm kind of at a deeper deeper level of you know understanding my gifts around intuition yeah and uh so now you're you know doing like the cleansing part and like the spirit baby but also going you know going to the root cause of, of what may be um of what's going on in the body like the emotions and all that right yeah because you know many many times we'll see that you know a, a symptom that we have you know we'll think like okay well what what supplement do i need to throw at this what you know what food do i need But many, many times, you know, as you know, we've seen this stems from an emotion that wants to be seen, it wants to be understood, and, you know, released, you know, many, many times, you know, and that can accelerate the healing so much faster than, um, you know, throwing while the physical step is important while supporting the body with, you know, the cleansing and, you know, any herbs or supplements that it may need. But it's usually, you know, the body's communicating to us things off we can always look at these little these little alarm bells right and as as we don't listen these alarm bells get louder and louder and louder and the symptoms get louder and louder right (laughs) i know i know exactly what uh, it feels like you know that was that was really my journey (laughs) and you have this uh amazing video series that um you launched like two days ago can you tell me a little bit more about it Yeah. So, I mean, this really is like the, it's really about the journey that I've been on. Um, I mean, the last 10 years of my life have been mostly motherhood, but that the 10 years before, you know, my twenties where, you know, I was trying to find all these healers and helpers to help me understand what I needed to do for endometriosis and for all these symptoms that I was having. And um, so it's, it's me putting together you know, all of my, you know, my background of nutrition and cleansing, but also my, you know, the inner work and, and how to, you know, release the emotions that way. So it's a series of three, three videos. Um, yeah, just kind of putting those puzzle pieces together, um, you know, to help, to help women understand why their periods may be, may be hard. So this is, you know, for anyone experiencing, you know, whether it's, it's something just as simple as having, you know, kind of severe PMS, you know, all the way yeah. to, you know, infertility or PCOS endometriosis, or, you know, it could be as simple as some hormone imbalances too, but, you know, it's all, all symptoms, you know, we, we want to look at them this, that same way. Right. Yeah, of course. And, um, so I will, sh- uh, I will share the link to your video series, um, in the caption, Oh, thank you. Um, So anyone who is interested can, you know, download your video series. I'm sure it's going to be helpful for so many women out there who are, you know, unheard and misunderstood by their, you know, gynecologists and doctors. And uh, where can, uh, where can we find you? So I'm on Instagram at Renee. My name's R-E-N-A-E underscore Teal, T-E-E-L, mostly on Instagram. Um, yeah. Hop over and there. So people can, you know, directly like send you a DM to book a session um, or service with you. Yep. Yeah, you can do that. I'd love to hear from you. Yeah, especially if you, if you listen to this, please, you know, send me a message. I'd love to love to chat or um, you can go to the, I know Monica will leave the link for my yeah. website and, you know, to, to join the email list, join uh, the video series. And also, you know, if you're on my Instagram, you can kind of click around. There's, you know, my spirit baby session is on there. 
um, the intuitive healing session is on there or, you know, a nutrition consultation is on there as well. Thank you so much. It was a very like, it was an awesome, you know, chat and to be able to listen to your story and just sort of how much you have overcome in your life. And um, I think it's such a powerful message to share, you know, that you can go through all these things, all these hardships and find happiness and, you know, have your family and the people, people who love and care about you and doing something you're passionate about. So I think it's, yeah, thank you so much for um, being my guest today. Uh, I, I really, yeah, I really love your story. Oh, thank you for, you know, being here and letting me, letting me share that here and for seeing, you know, seeing my, my journey. I, I think it's really beautiful too. So thank you. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Hey, not so fast. Do you want to find yourself? Do you want to find your happiness? Do you finally want to live a life you truly love? Then let's have a chat. Go check my website, embodyyourflow.com and book your free call.